This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I want you to imagine for just a minute that I am a super evil villain. Let's be honest, I got the mustache for it, right? If you haven't seen what my mustache looks like, it's time to head over to YouTube and check out the Homestead YouTube channel. Okay, now that we've got that cleared up, I'm a super evil villain and I've just kidnapped you. We're flying over a desert island. I'm going to drop you and you're gonna spend the rest of your life fending for yourself. At this point in the movie, you would watch my traumatic backstory where you learn I have something sad that happened in my past. I'm still really a good guy at heart. I'm just lost. And because I'm still really a good guy at heart, I decide I'm going to drop you on this island, but I'm going to give you a packet of seeds and a pair of whatever livestock you choose so that you can grow some food for yourself and maybe live out the rest of your days on this island if you can fend for yourself with this one plant and this one kind of livestock. What do you pick? You have just a couple moments before I drop you out of this plane, so you better pick fast. All right, we're strapping the parachute onto you. What's it gonna be? I hope you have an answer. If you don't know what you should pick, that's okay, today's episode of the podcast is going to help you learn what is the best plant and livestock you could grow on your own homestead to produce the most food. You see, we went to over 100 homesteaders who told us that they were growing around 75% of their food, and we asked them, what are you growing that produces the most on your homestead? All these homesteads took some time to fill out a very detailed form, they explained to us what is the biggest producers on their homestead, and we found some huge trends. Homesteads that produce the bulk of their family's food, we're talking 75% of the food their family eats, most of them are growing the same few things. And in the episode, and in today's episode, we're gonna head to the barn, Kay and I are gonna share with you everything we learned from this study, 
and at the end of this episode, you will know what plants and livestock you should bring to your desert island homestead, or even better, your future homestead or the homestead you're currently growing with your family. So I guess I better take one more lap around this island, we'll listen to the episode together, and then it'll be time to give you the boot. The world that we live in is a crazy place. This is a pandemic. The toilet paper tussle. Inflation hitting a new... They're protesting. But you and me, we can make a difference. But just starting a garden, harvesting rainwater, raising some meat chickens with a couple of friends, all these little steps, bit by bit, it makes life better for you, me, and our kids. So if you've wanted to start homesteading, or maybe just grow your homestead a little bit bigger this year, well, you found the right podcast. Cozy up, it's time for another episode of Homesteady. This episode of Homesteady is brought to you by Laurel Mountain Soaps. Guys, you've heard me talk about Laurel Mountain Soap a ton at this point. You know that they are our favorite source for soap, for deodorant, skin products. They're made locally where we live in Pennsylvania. It's a family-run business. Tim and Jocelyn do an amazing job with all the different soaps and skin products that they offer. This product I want to tell you about today I'm so excited about because we kind of had a little part in its creation. When we first found Tim and Jocelyn and their booth at the farmer's market, we were going through all their products. We found some all-natural deodorants that didn't have any aluminum in them, but also didn't give you a rash. That was my favorite product. My daughters were excited to see some all-natural bath bombs. Something that Kay was looking for that they didn't have at the time was diaper rash balm. We have six kids. We have dealt with a lot of diaper rashes. It's par for the course. We were bummed that they did not have a diaper rash balm. Well, by popular demand because of people like us saying, um, do you guys have diaper rash balm? Now they do. They have a diaper rash balm. Our baby girl has a bad habit when we're changing her diaper. She tries to grab whatever product is on the diaper changing table and eat it, <laughs> which is just a great example of why it's good to use a product that has safe ingredients, something that you're not afraid to put on your baby's skin. And although it's not exactly a steak marinade, when you hear the list of ingredients, it's something you recognize and actually some of these ingredients you cook with. The balm is actually formulated with tallow, cocum butter, shea butter, organic extra virgin coconut oil, and moringa oil. Our babies deserve the best, so what you're putting on their butt, you wanna make sure it's the best quality stuff, and that's what Laurel Mountain makes. That's why if you're one of those nosy people who open up other people's medicine cabinets, you'll find a whole lot of Laurel Mountain soap products in our medicine cabinets. They're great skincare products, and they're great people. So support Laurel Mountain Soaps. They support our podcast. Head over to laurelmountainsoaps.com. You can shop through all their different products. And of course, you do get a discount when you use the coupon code HOMESTEADY at checkout. Most of you listening to this podcast are not full-time farmers, so your time to grow food is limited. In the last episode of this podcast, we talked about how much food we're growing at our homestead. 70% now. That, that's 70% of all our food yeah, that's we're awesome. producing here in our homestead. <laughs> that- now, of course, we're pretty proud of that number, but we also know that there's some people in our audience that are just killing it at food production. And we figured it'd be a good idea to reach out to them and to find out all the big producers in our audience, what are they growing? 
Well, we got some fantastic information back from them all, and we put together a YouTube video to explain it. We found over 100 different homesteads that are raising around 75% of their food. And we asked them, what are they growing? What do they find to be the most efficient thing to grow on their homestead? Some of the things we learned actually really surprised me, some of the ways they're growing a lot of food. And really inspired me. Yeah, so we're gonna talk about these big producers. What are the big producers growing? And big producers, that makes them sound too much like... A cow, <laughs> a dairy cow. <laughs> the big growers, grow a bunchies. It sounds like an underwear malfunction. <laughs> big growths? Big, big producers, we can't get better than that. We'll call them the big producers. What were our big homestead producers growing? There were a big three that every homestead that we talked to who was growing this much food, you'll find these three different kinds of foods being produced on all the homesteads. And the first one. Number one was. <laughs> meat. That's the number one thing. Across the board, in a landslide, meat was the best way that people were growing their own food. Meat production has always been a major way that we have fed our family from our homestead over this last decade. And at any time of the season, you can find us raising some sort of meat animal on our homestead. While we were recording this segment, we were raising cooney cooney pigs specifically for meat production. Meat! Meat by far in a landslide was the biggest contributing factor to being more self-sufficient, growing a bigger percentage of your food. So I'm gonna feed our meat here and we'll talk about why meat's so important. While some people might hear that sound of that pig chewing and think, ew, gross, chewing noises. I just hear the sound of bacon growing. When doing our research for this video, we asked these different homesteads, what is the best way that you're able to grow food for your family? 64% of these homesteads said meat. Every big producer, big grower on their homestead grew some sort of meat. And Steph from Red Pine Pastures explains why. She says, I work evenings and nights as a nurse and dedicate my days to growing, raising food. She's growing 50 to 75% of her food. And in her opinion, she says, the best way to grow food from their experience is raising animals. Meat provides the most nutrition density, requires less input for more output versus say growing lettuce. Plus you're growing meat, which can taste better than growing lettuce too. Ooh, lettuce well, sometimes, burn. you know, lettuce, you need a dressing. Meat, just a little salt. Mm, true. I like lettuce, I'm nothing against lettuce. But we think the same thing. It actually takes us less time feeding our beef cows in the morning or our pigs versus working in our garden, which is why for the last 10 years, <laughs> our gardens have been kind of underperforming in our homestead. And that's a goal for ours in the future. But across the board, all of these growers, they grow meat and that provides them just a higher level of self-sufficiency on their homestead. So with no contest across all our data we saw, you should be growing some meat on your homestead if you want to grow the most food for your family. It's the best way, hands down, to do it. But it's not the only way. Category number two, vegetables. And included in this, we're gonna throw in herbs and other plants, but not fruit, because fruit was its own category. So vegetables and then like herbs 
Every single homestead who's producing around 75% of their food is growing some sort of vegetables. We headed to the pig pen to talk about meat. For this second category in vegetables, we decided to usher it in, holding one of our proudest vegetables yet, our first homegrown pumpkin. We have been homesteading for years. We have tried planting pumpkins many times. This was the first pumpkin we were able to get here at our Pennsylvania homestead. And actually, we found it, and the day we found it, it was one of those times where we were so excited to see it, we just picked it. We didn't even think like, is it done growing? It was about the size of a volleyball. It probably would have got a lot bigger, but we just picked it. And then we were like, oh, awesome. We could make pie with this. And we put it up on the shelf and we forgot about it for the entire winter. But one of the coolest things about pumpkins is there it was sitting on the shelf, still good this spring. Oh, join me. Join you. Join me and my join pumpkin. Join the two of you. You're going to be a third wheel here, but. Here, I'll hold this. <laughs> All right, I will get behind this one as far as definitely herbs. Herbs have been, I think, one of our best garden time investments. Yeah, time investments, it's huge. Especially because they come back every year. My herbs come back every year and they keep growing into snowfall. You can't stop them. <laughs> but, mint. I mean, you, you're mint. not gonna get like much food from your herbs. That's why right? we combined them with the vegetables in this category because everybody was growing herbs, everybody was growing vegetables, but Herbs don't really But they're here. delicious. But they're great on that meat you're growing. So why? Why vegetables are our number two category? Why not say fruit? Uh, Matt and Sarah who are on YouTube. Hi everyone. Guess where we are? Pixie and I are in the greenhouse. And they say growing vegetables is the most affordable bang for our buck item. Once we purchase seeds, we can either repurchase at affordable prices or save seeds and continue the cycle for almost nothing. Their point about veggies is fantastic. Seeds are inexpensive. Most of the time you can find them, especially at the end of the growing season, keep them for next year for almost next to nothing. And they're pretty easy to plant. Take your kids out in your beds, plant some veggies. It's essentially what we do every year. And every year we do get something from our garden. When we asked all these homesteads, what's the best thing that you grow for food? 16% said veggies. And another reason why that might be is because they're so shelf stable if you know how to can, if you know how to put up your veggies. Uh, it's a great way to have a ton of food. And a lot of them, like this pumpkin that we picked months ago, are shelf stable without any fancy work. You can't put a piece of meat in the corner of your house and uh, hope that it doesn't go spoil, but you can do that with a pumpkin and this pumpkin is still good. And if my wife would ever get around to making that pumpkin pie she promised me, like four months ago. I love you, babe. You do plenty work. That pumpkin is really figuring big <laughs> in this. Me and my pumpkin. <laughs> we should put a face on it. Can I like Wilson. draw a little face? Wilson! <laughs> Wilson! Wilson! What was the point I'm supposed to share right now? <laughs> you can leave your vegetables. You can garden. leave. It's less oh. of a lifestyle How change. How could you? How could you leave Wilson? You can leave your vegetables. I'm sorry, Wilson! So while you cannot leave your livestock without someone to watch them and feed them, uh, your veggies you can leave for a couple days, come back and go on a vacation for a week. You're gonna have a lot of weeding to do when you get back and Wilson might be angry at you, but. It's less of a lifestyle change. Less, it's less of a lifestyle change to grow some veggies. So that brings us to the third category of what you should, bleh. So that, so that brings us to the third category of what you should be growing at your homestead for the most food production. 
And we're gonna Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. To get into category number three right after a word from our sponsors. And here's number three of our big three. All of the homesteaders had these on their farm. Egg-laying chickens. My guess is probably most of us even started with egg-laying chickens. So yeah, this is where our homestead origins began, so we hang on to them. If you have a homestead, it's like why not have egg-laying chickens? They work, you know, with all your other livestock, with your garden. It, it's like this symbiosis. Donna from Fantel Valley hey Homestead. There. I'm Donna from Fantel Valley Homestead. We are a homestead in the south of New Zealand. We have 10 acres. She says our laying chickens are predominantly raised on restaurant scraps and forage. These chickens we're breeding and I think we're up to the third or fourth generation and we're trying to breed them so that they can mostly forage for their own food. This is really cool. Her 12-year-old is actually working on developing her own breed of chicken. She's working on a land-raised laying breed of her own that thrives on forage so we get lots of eggs for not much money or effort, which that sounds like a perfect chicken to me. So they are a mixture of a few different heritage breeds. They are part well summer, part highline, part brown leghorn, um, and part mystery chicken. I think that also highlights a big benefit of egg-laying chickens is the reproductive abilities. If you have generations of cows, it takes a long time to develop your own breed, what works best on your farm, but within a few generations of chickens, you can really focus on the traits that you want to have in your farm, and your chicks hatch in 21 days, the chickens you have at your own farm, so you can have your own breed of chickens at your farm in pretty much no time. That's a really cool thing and your kids can do it. So those were the big three, meat, veggies, and egg-laying chickens. And that's what we focus on for a long time on our homestead. We could not go without talking about the runner-ups though because these are very important and one of them is kind of our favorite. <laughs> so, dairy. Dairy. Dairy is one of our favorite ways to grow food on our homestead. If you're watching the YouTube version of this episode, you would see that we are in the barn and we're actually sitting right next to the stall of one of our newest dairy calves, a Guernsey heifer named Freddie. Freddie is a beautiful little calf. She was also a bottle fed baby. And if you know about bottle fed babies, they can be, well, they can be a little bit, they can be a handful. 
because they've known you from day one, you've been the source of all good things, they can be a little too friendly and get into trouble sometimes, and Freddie, pretty much anytime we're near her, winds up trying to eat my shirt or knocking over the camera, one or the other, sometimes both. Let's talk about dairy and why it didn't make the big three, but is still a very important piece of any, well not any, but of some self-sufficient homesteads. Yeah, this one I think is easy to know why it wouldn't be on all everybody's farm. It takes a lot of time. Because dairy, of people like me. <laughs> dairy is a lifestyle change. You're really committing to your dairy animal. And that's not for everybody, What? because maybe you work full time, maybe you're working nights and you don't want to come home and milk a cow. Even beef, a lot of the farms had beef. This was surprising. But they didn't do dairy. Like it, the, of the homesteads who filled out our form, almost all of them were raising beef and way less were had a dairy cow. So just that, that simple step from having a cow versus having to milk it and be a, this, this, yes, you. Yeah, that's You're worse than a goat, Freddy. What'd I tell you? Right on cue, Freddy tries to eat my shirt and knock over the camera, all in one fell swoop. When we asked all these homesteads, what is the best way that you grow food? Nobody mentioned egg-laying chickens as, as their, their favorite. one favorite, but of the homesteads who had a dairy cow, almost all of them mentioned that as their favorite. 16% of our homesteads said dairy. So a lot, a smaller of a percentage of them have dairy, but of them, all the people who have dairy are essentially saying dairy is my favorite. Yeah, and I think uh, Liv summed it up when she said, Our dairy cow provides the most bang for our buck. Our cow feeds the house, her calf each year, a steer calf for the freezer, and we use clabbered skim milk to supplement the pigs and laying hens. I feel like if you have a dairy cow and you're into the milk thing, it becomes like the base of your farm. It's the base of your pyramid of your farm. Because <laughs> you've learned to everything becomes something that feeds from the milk. Ours, our dairy cows have become like a centerpiece to our self-sufficiency. So you might, and I might not be right for you, that's why it's a runner-up. It's not yeah. one of the big three, but if you're thinking about it, it's incredibly awesome. Other runner-up was fruit. A lot of homesteads, but not all of them were growing fruit. Now we're gonna get to what you should not spend your time growing if you wanna produce a lot of food. That's right, there's some things that you should not waste your time on, and we're gonna get to that in a second. But I have to ask you to do something if you're listening to this episode of the podcast. In the last episode, I mentioned that this was a new style of episode that we were trying. We we're taking our highly edited YouTube videos and converting them into podcasts. We spend a ton of time producing these videos. We do a ton of research. There is so much good data in these episodes. And we figured a lot of you who are out here who only listen to the podcast and don't watch the YouTube channel, we're going to be missing out on this awesome information. So we figured we would go and convert these episodes to podcasts, and we wanted to know what you think. Well, we got a lot of responses. There are some people who do not like when we take clips from YouTube and put them on podcasts because they don't like the audio quality of the barn recordings. So if you want these episodes to continue, if you are listening to this episode right now and you're thinking, oh my goodness, this is so much fun, we're getting all this extra information and we got these sound clips of roosters crowing and pigs chewing in my ear. I mean, come on, who doesn't wanna hear more pigs chewing in their ear? Let me know. Head over to iTunes or whatever podcast app you use if you can leave a review, but I would really love it if you would head over to iTunes, leave a review, 
five stars and let us know, hey, I love the show and I really love these new episodes that are being recorded in the barn, live on scene. Let us know that you like this style. Or on the flip side, if you don't like this style, head on over to iTunes. I'd still love a five-star review. Maybe what you could do is say, hey, I normally love the show, but I don't love the new style of episodes, Aust. Please stop doing that. And what we're going to do is over time, we're just going to see how does the audience feel about this. If you could let us know, give us that feedback, that'll help us going forward, know whether or not to do this. If you like this style of episode, I guarantee you there will be more episodes of the podcast than normal because we're already making these YouTube videos. It takes way less time to convert a video than it does to make a whole new podcast. So if you like this style and you want more, then go leave a review and let us know. And thank you to everyone who has done this so far. It is definitely helping us figure out which path to go forward. Now, speaking of recording live from the barn, I'm going to head up into the hayloft, which actually is like a perfect sound recording studio. Hay dampens background noise and echoes so well. I should record all my podcasts in the hayloft. It's a beautiful audio experience. Let's head up to the hayloft and talk about what you should not be growing. Now, why would Homesteady, a channel who is always telling you to just start and grow something, even take some time to tell you to not grow something? This seems like anti-Homesteady. It's actually a pretty important thing that you're gonna have to learn when you start trying to grow all your food, is that you shouldn't try to grow all your food, at least not right away. Cody from the YouTube channel, More Than Farmers. This right here, is our home. Provides our family of six with beef, poultry, milk, eggs, vegetables, and fruit. I think he said it best. Growing the most food possible comes down to being the most efficient. In gardening, it's having the willpower to not try all the different varieties and vegetables that you'll barely eat. Grow the things that are staples, that are the most space and time efficient to grow. A cow gives you dairy products and beef, and beef is super easy to raise. Instead of raising goats, sheep, cows, pigs, and chickens, <clears throat> we only raise beef and chicken. Maybe eventually we'll do more, but it's more efficient to get better at a couple things before branching out. By sticking with fewer things, we're able to grow more with less effort. And that's where he really hits the nail on the head when you're beginning, when you're starting out to focus on just a few things, in time you can grow and do more. But just focusing your energy in the beginning, that'll help you do better and actually grow more. And this is coming from a guy who is growing more than 75% of his food. That's what he filled out on our questionnaire. So Austin, let me ask you. Yes? Have Austin and Kendra ever made this mistake on their <laughs> homestead of doing too much? Oh no, we don't ever make mistakes on our homestead. Our very first garden at our apartment was this little baby thing and we got no food from it. And then we moved to the country and we're like, hey, you know what? Let's have a one acre garden. We did so great on the last one. Let's have a huge one. I feel like you're insulting my gardening skills a lot with this video. She's not a great gardener. I grow things. You're, and you're Children. a messy gardener too. <laughs> I'm like the messy one in the relationship, but you go to the garden bed and mine is like square foot. Pristine. With it's weeded weird. And, and mulched, and yours is like, I'm survival like, of the fittest. If that tomato can't handle a few weeds and bugs, he doesn't deserve to be on it. my sandwich. I don't want to put that in my body. <laughs> okay. Now. All that is to say. <laughs> so with much fear and a little trepidation, we're going to say don't grow these things. Yeah, so here are the reason these are the things we're saying not to grow, of all the big producers, 
maybe one mentioned growing them or nobody. If it's not coming from us, blame them. Links below to their channels. <laughs> Angry comment to their channels. Okay. Joking aside, we will have links to all the channels that helped us put together this information in the description of this podcast. So go check out some new YouTube channels. They make great content. Now, I'm up in the hayloft. I'm kind of multitasking here. We're making a video, but we did need to throw some hay down for the goats and the cows to eat. So what should you not spend time growing? Let's talk about that while I get some chores done. Don't spend any time growing nuts. Rain. Don't spend any time trying to grow fish. You aquaponics people I know are gonna be mad about that one. You guys grow a ton of food, but you didn't fill out my form. <laughs> Don't spend time growing mushrooms. Maybe that's because it's more fun to go pick wild mushrooms. We love picking wild mushrooms, so maybe that's why they said that. This one's gonna make everybody mad. Uh. Don't, don't spend time with bees. I do not want to make the bee people mad. Get them, girls. I mean, bee people, they're probably the last people you want to really take <laughs> off. They're, they're the people who are like not afraid to go up and grab a oh, swarm of honeybees and take them home. These people are hardcore. I've seen them like bare hand, like we're gonna go to a swarm they're now. Like, they're not aggressive because they're swarming it. and they just like, shink. <laughs> Meanwhile, I once filmed a bee guy and I was like, I had my telephoto lens on. I was like, I'm gonna be 300 feet away from you. You go ahead and do your bee thing. I've, I have done bees in the past. My dad and I did bees. The thing about bees and honey was it took a lot of setup, a lot of learning. Bees are not easy, in my opinion. And I think that's why they didn't make it on the list. They're not easy. You're right. And it's not a lot of variety in your product. You're getting one product, honey. Oh. I'm not saying we'll never do bees. I would love it if one of my kids would do it. Uh, again, we're not telling you to never grow any of these things, really. We're not saying don't grow. We're just saying if you're trying to grow more and if your priority is growing a lot of your food, these are not the areas that these bigger producers focus on. Okay? We're sorry. Okay, <laughs> okay let's get now. through this. And I know. There will be people in the comments who say, but I grow these things and it's fantastic. Hey, feel free. In the comments. Put that in the comments. Defend your mushrooms. Tell us why you love these things and educate us. Why do you love it? But also tell us what's easy about it and what's hard about it. Yeah. So far, the big takeaways from this episode are you should be growing some meat, some vegetables, and some eggs if you want to feed your family. Yeah. No kidding, right? <laughs> Don't worry, we're gonna get a lot more specific now. What specific kind of meat is the best to grow to feed a lot of people? What veggies should you focus on if you want to have a lot of food production? We went to our big producers and we asked them for specifics. Next question we asked our biggie bunchy growers was what one specific thing are you growing that is the best bang for your buck, produces the most food. What one specific thing? Beef. Hands down, beef wins. And that makes sense because, I mean, 
They're huge, right? You can grow up beef and get so much food from that beef. Plus, what so many people said was you can also grow them off of your own pasture. If you have the grass, if you have the forage, it's very low input, huge output. Now maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't do beef. I have a full-time job, I gotta commute. Don't write yourself off so quick. We have a whole lesson in the Pioneer Library where we went on a field trip to Mac Farms and Eli showed us how he runs a really good sized beef herd with a full-time job. He shared with everybody how he rotationally grazes before he goes to work. It's really great. It's just a matter of how much time have you thought and planned for what's coming up. Um, and if you do that, you'll be fine. It's, it's really easy to squeeze that in after work, before work, whatever. So Pioneers, there'll be a link below uh, to that particular lesson in the library. And if you're not a Pioneer, there'll be a link below where you can become one and gain access to all that. A disadvantage of beef is that they will take a little bigger to get to butcher size, so it'll take you a few years to get there. But the number two slot on what meat you should grow is one that can fill your freezer a lot faster as you wait for your beef to get ready, and that was chickens. Specifically, chickens raised for meat. So in two to four months, you can have a freezer full of chickens grown right out of your backyard. You don't need a lot of space for them either. Chickens you can grow even if you have a small backyard. We did it in our last homestead on our teeny tiny backyard. And you can butcher it yourself at home, which can save a lot of money as well. The runners ah. up to beef and chickens were some of our favorites, actually, sheep and goats. Sheep we, and groats, groats. Yeah, <laughs> groats. They're a great poor man's beef. If you can't have, if, if you, you actually can't do a beef, space for do a sheep. Sheep, yeah, delicious. Goats, they all require, in my opinion, more difficult fencing. <laughs> but yes. but you don't need like a chute to handle them like you would a beef. So that is an advantage. Somebody to them said as well. they bought a bunch of. Male oh, kids, yeah. they would just buy every year a bunch of male kids, raise them up for meat, tons of meat in the freezer. I miss eating goat. My daughter won't let me kill any goats and eat them anymore. He's gonna try to sneak one. <laughs> I'm gonna smuggle some goat. Yeah, but we really love goats and sheep. Now, what was not mentioned by anyone for meat? And I think I know why. Ducks. Ducks. We Nobody said they wanted to raise ducks. Nobody even mentioned. We should have Morgan fill it out. <laughs> duck, we've done duck for meat. And I think the reason why nobody mentioned them is because they are a nightmare to butcher to the point where it's hard to find a professional butcher who will take ducks. Yeah, there's, there's a way with wax and we did it. Yeah. But it is a lot different it is very different than butchering chickens yeah we have one duck walking around the place ducks. Uh, yeah ducks maybe you love duck meat and you just want to eat duck so do ducks where's wilson there he is wilson i'd say by this point in the recording process wilson the pumpkin has become a pivotal presenter we cannot go on without him wilson oh god don't do that to me again never leave never again never again Okay, let's talk about vegetables. We might just make it. Did that thought ever cross your brain? You gonna join me? Oh, sure. You oh, can sure. join me and Wilson. Okay, so meat was number one, veggies number two, but what kind of veggies, right? You growing your tomatillos. 
I like veggies. I really love vegetables. The one vegetable that you should focus on growing Effort. is the humble squash. Squash or potatoes, starch vegetables. They were kind of like tied for the popular veggie. Why? Why? Well, tell them what tell them what they tell said. Tell them what they said. Steph and Chris. Well, most people have probably heard the uh, the phrase "Don't put all your eggs in one basket," but uh, today we're going to talk about not putting all your squash in one basket. From Hickory Croft Farm, squash. I have to tell you, guys. Steph, Chris. You've changed my life as far as gardening and squash go. This is like second to maybe having my children, the most important day of my life. I didn't mention our marriage. Oh, burn. <laughs> squash, they say. We often joke that squash could save the world. It's versatile, easy to store, and can be grown with very little effort. It can be made into flour, animal feed, desserts, as well as main courses, and is very simple to save seeds from. Squash results in a lot of poundage of food, which can be stored for us, but transferred to livestock when it starts to deteriorate. And the best part is that most people can grow it even if they only have a small plot. Did you know most pumpkin pies are actually made with butternut squash? Yes, I did know that. Fun fact. The canned pumpkin Sorry, is actually Wilson. squash. It's delicious. Uh, my family believes that the best pumpkin pies are from Hubbard or Hubert squash. So I, I think what really struck me here is that you grow it and it's ready to store just like this. Oh yeah. You don't have to can it, you don't have to freeze it, you don't have to preserve it in any way, it's ready. And the seeds are in there to replant and the next year. They're so easy to get the seeds out And of. you can do so much, including feed animals, humans. And they're right, it's yeah. a very small plot and you can grow a lot. But I'm gonna end this video just showing you our most amazing squash for this year. One sec. Look at that beauty, it's heavy. This is almost 17 pounds of green stripe Kershaw squash. Give it a try. Squash was the most popular. The runner-up was potatoes. Yes. People were fanning over their potato Well, patches. potatoes are kind of similar, right? They're easier yeah. to store. So we narrowed it down to just the starchy, yeah. starchy vegetables. going to really potatoes, give you a lot of bang for your buck. Sweet potatoes. Yeah. Also easier to store. That is a ton of information. If you really just want to know, like, what do I do with this? Where do I start? One second. Before we give you a great place to start and work from, uh, I wanted to tell you we had so much amazing advice that was given to us, so much data, so many tips that were shared that we could not fit into the recording of this episode. So what we actually did is we went and we put together an ebook, which we have got some fantastic response from. People have already started reading this ebook. A couple of people said it was so helpful that we should publish it. I don't know that I'll ever actually publish it, but we have it all for you. It's called How to Grow 75% of Your Food, Lessons from Successful Homesteaders. What we did is we put together this study from all the data that we got for this video, and a lot of the stuff we couldn't fit into this episode got into this workbook. It is in the Pioneer Library. Pioneers, you have access to it all the time. But for those of you who are listening to this episode, I don't want you to miss out on this. This could really help your food production. So we're going to give it away for free for those of you listening to the podcast. There will be a link in the description of this podcast to join our email list. Once you join the email list, we'll be able to give you access to this workbook. A couple of the areas that we couldn't get into with this video, for example, lifestyle, how to balance 
growing food and your employment, full-time jobs. Another thing you can see in this ebook is all the data that we got. So not just the top winners and then the bottom losers, but where everything in the middle, you know, where do goats, chickens, tomatoes fit into this. So go ahead and get yourself a free copy of that ebook. Now, if you're feeling overwhelmed from hearing everything you should be growing, where should you start? Let's zoom in and give you a great place to begin your journey towards growing, hopefully 75% or more of your food. I know the gears in your head are spinning right now. We threw a ton at you and you're like, all right, where do I start? Just start with meat chickens. Yes, meat chickens. It's an amazing place to start. It was the second biggest producer of all the foods that everyone on the different homesteads talked about. We mentioned beef was the very first one. The fact is most of you listening probably are not ready to take on the challenge of beef. You're not ready for such a large animal. But meat chickens, I would be willing to wager that probably about 75% of you listening who haven't done meat chickens could do it, even in a tiny little backyard, even on a desert island. It's moving day, I say to you as I slide open the aircraft door. What's it gonna be? Your mind is racing with all the statistics you heard in the Homesteady podcast. Do you ask for a beef? No, not beef. Beef will take two years. Goats? No, never goats. What about the plants? Definitely not grain. I need an answer. You shout it out loud and before you know it, you're plummeting towards the earth. You pull the cord on your parachute. You, a small flock of meat chickens, and a packet of pumpkin seeds land softly on the island sand. You're scared, but you're also kind of excited. You've been listening to the Homesteady podcast, wanting to start a homestead for years. And it's not really the way you planned, but here you are. You go up and down the beach, collecting all the driftwood and seaweed you can find, and fashion yourself a rudimentary John Siskovich chicken tractor. Oh, and you can't forget, it's time to plant those pumpkin seeds. Because you know, you're going to be on this desert island a long time, and it would be good if you had a friend. Okay, so... Start with some meat chickens. Get yourself 10 meat chickens, and if you want to know how to do it from start to finish, we have a whole entire podcast episode dedicated towards explaining the whole process of feeding your family with meat chickens from, you know, the very early stages, what you need to know before you get started to all the way through to butcher day. Go and listen to that podcast. I will have a link in the description of this one, so you can just click on the link and check out that episode. Before you start listening to that episode, remember, if you could just take a moment to leave us a review, let us know how you like this new style of episode, that would be so appreciated. It helps us going forward and helps us produce more episodes if we know what you like. This episode you're listening to right now, we put out because of all of you who went and left reviews. So keep it coming. Let us know if you like it or not. And there will be more episodes if you do just like this. So until next time, remember, the desert island beach is rocky. Make home steady. Yeah.